Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This is a podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Oh boy, it is a very exciting day today. We have been talking for months now about this post-500 era of our podcast and how we are really excited to try new additions to our show and explore slightly new formats and today is the first episode the really the inaugural episode of sorts to demonstrate Mm -hmm. the concept that we've been talking about and we can't think of a more perfect topic than we have today (laughs) we have a series spotlight episode today and I'm sure some of you, uh, I think we announced on Discord at the very least that we were doing, or maybe even on a recent podcast, uh, that we were doing a series spotlight episode today. I think a lot of you probably thought, oh, it's it's probably going to be Sonic, and it is the perfect one to do. This is a series that is so beloved for me and Will and also Marty and so many people that we know, so many fans around the world. It's such a beloved and interesting and quirky in some ways series, uh, and I can't wait to talk about a lot of it today. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard to be a Sonic fan. It's kind of like being a Star <laughs> Wars fan. Where if you've been a fan through all it's the so decades, many different things, you've been there through the ups and downs, through all the bumps in the road, that's true. through all the questionable choices over the years. It's and <laughs> that's part of what makes Sonic so amazing. Because I think yeah. the thing that has made it endure all these years is quite frankly the strength of the original game. Sonic the Hedgehog sold the Sega Genesis. It's like that game was such a big deal when it came out. How it felt to play, the graphics, the music. Yeah, everything. The graphics, the music, the level design, the cool attitude, the character design of Sonic the Hedgehog himself. Like, it it really was an impactful event, and I think that was so massive that honestly, not to say that that's the only thing, but... It's like a big bang that we're still experiencing, like, the ripples from. Yeah, I think if that game wasn't as massive as it was, I really don't think Sonic would still be around. It's kind of like the popularity Mm -hmm. of that keeps him around so they can keep making titles, and sometimes they don't sell well, and sometimes they get reviewed (laughs) poorly, and then sometimes they have ones that work, but it's been ups and downs, you know, rocky over the years, but it's like the strength of when you say Sonic the Hedgehog, people still think of amazing side-scrolling classic platformer from the 2D era. And when you say Sonic music, I think most people think of amazing music, but I think it means different things to different people, and that's one of the really beautiful things about Sonic music. You know, this is a series that has experimented and explored so many different sounds and influences over the years, and so I love that it means different things to different people, and we're going to actually be exploring that a little bit today, too. So the way that we explore this series today is going to be kind of different than we might have done in the past, and so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. We have a lot to get to. Uh, Will, what are we have at the beginning i think we're gonna take a listen to some classic genesis tracks to start off now we can't play and talk about every single game in the series but uh we're gonna we're gonna try to cover a lot of it well and you know we've already done in a sense so many episodes in the past about sonic music where we just play a long playlist of just classic tunes and so today's episode is going to be a little different we wanted to start off by doing sort of a taste test a sampler palette
palette of a couple classic Sonic tracks from the Genesis. Yeah. And then um, Carl is actually going to talk to us, uh, taking a slightly deeper dive into how some of that Genesis music was composed, some of its influences, and really um, the general impact that that classic 16-bit Mega Drive sound has had on the series and music at large. Well, let's start things off with one of our favorite Sonic tracks. It's actually a track that we've been saying for years. We got to do this in the band. And it's it's very true. Angel Island Zone, Act One. How daunting would that be? <laughs> <laughs> this one, you know, the last crediting that I saw, there are so many composers on Sonic 3, but the last crediting I saw for this zone was Tomonori Sawada and Yoshiaki Kashima as the composers. It's from Sonic 3. Let's take a listen. It's like, I would say I love the SNES more, but then I hear this and I'm like, oh, you got to give it to me. And it makes you change teams. It makes you change teams. It's so good. You guys are listening to Angel Island Zone Act 1 and smiles are on both of our faces and that's going to be the case the entire episode. This is a series that means so much to us and we just get so much joy. As soon as this track plays, it's just instant joy. And one of maybe the most impressive, (laughs) consistent things about Uh, sonic music throughout the years is the high quality production whether you're on the genesis fm chip or whether you have modern ensembles and performers sonic music almost always sounds amazing and it's always attempted at least to feel contemporary and to feel like music that is of a modern pop music tradition. And it's vibrant music. And what's interesting, Carl and I have two different perspectives on this series because Carl was totally the era of Sonic. You were <laughs> at the perfect age yep. when those games came out and it really impacted your whole childhood. I came at a slightly later time where I experienced it as like this amazing classic thing from the past. Right. So to me, Sonic always sounded retro. It always sounded 90s. It always sounded sounded like the way Michael Jackson sounded to me, Mm -hmm. which was 80s and 90s. It didn't sound like the music that was on the radio when I was a little kid. Right. So 
to me, it's always been established as this really cool, specific style that felt so distinct. But you have the perspective of that style maybe feeling more contemporary and modern in yeah. the sound of what you were hearing on the radio. It's, it's true. And there was something about the music that was so vibrant and colorful. It felt like it was jumping out of my TV. And it really did immerse me. It, ma- it made me feel like I was actually running through Angel Island Zone. And obviously the yeah. graphics and the gameplay had uh, to do with that too. But this music, really, it truly changed my life. I would not be <laughs> where I am today with without this music. It's undeniably amazing i think it changed a lot of lives and that's the amazing thing about classic video game music like this the sheer execution we were commenting when we were listening to this this is a track that makes you change teams because if you're (laughs) on team snes you hear angel island zone the intricacy of the writing in the subtle detail of the timbre you just can't deny what's supposed to be like a steel drum roll has this great kind of vocal quality to me and it's just so colorful you just get the sense of this beautiful archipelago when you listen to it yeah and it's it's really quite amazing the combination of different instruments the really extreme panning you know the soft and the hard textures combine it's not to mention the amazing composition it's just so exciting compositionally it's like it is so complex and as was a lot of the pop music of that era and you know i know bringing up michael jackson is always some sort of controversial (laughs) subject but if we just look at the composition and the music so often the arrangements are really complicated and interesting and have call and response and different phrases and answering yeah. phrases and almost like counterpoint you know you know all those answering phrases we didn't mention at the top but this series has now been around for 31 years and the first stage one theme uh, we played in with green hill zone obviously i love that so much and my nostalgia for that knows no ends but it's tough to to argue against maybe this is the best stage one theme in in the series it's just so i i really think it is i mean i the thing that's interesting to me about sonic 3 i think the first four levels being angel one and two and hydro one and two I think are absolutely perfect and yep. maybe the pinnacle of video game music at that time. Like from a musical standpoint, the kind of compositional development from act one and the act variations. two. Variations. Oh, so cool. And then what's unfortunate to me is like the soundtrack as it goes on loses a little bit of that steam sometimes yeah. and it doesn't live up to the level of like Sonic 2 or Sonic 1. But the first four stages are like the best thing in the whole series in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think they capture something that a lot of Sonic series music has. A lot of it is either cool, fun, fast, or catchy. And I think that those first four stages, I mean, some of them are slow, but they're definitely fun and catchy. And so I think Sonic music, again, it can be a lot of different things, but it's most of it is one of those adjectives. Well, I'm really excited now to take a slightly deeper dive into some of the origins of this sound. And Carl, honestly, I don't mean to flatter you, but I can't think of a more perfect person to take <laughs> us into the world of classic 16-bit sonic music uh we're gonna take a listen to chemical plant zone next and when we come back carl is going to talk a little bit more about the thing i think he knows most about in this world
I thought it'd be fun today to talk a bit about the musical influences of the Sonic games for the Genesis. One of the primary objectives for Sega when creating the original Sonic the Hedgehog was that it needed to be cool, much cooler than Mario. The character had attitude, and that carried over into the tone of the game itself. And one of the most important ways to make a game cool, especially back then, was with the music. Some of the coolest music of the late 80s and early 90s was R&B, the likes of Michael Jackson, Prince, Whitney Houston, Bobby Brown, and more. In order to channel this contemporary pop energy, Sega specifically hired Masato Nakamura, bassist and songwriter of Japanese pop band Dreams Come True. Nakamura's sonic melodies became some of the most beloved in all of gaming. His songwriting craft and ability to nail popular contemporary genres was a breath of fresh air for the video game music world. And if you go back, you can really hear how the music he was listening to at the time influenced what he wrote for the game. For example, he may have been channeling Bobby Brown for Spring Yard Zone. Or possibly even 80s film score such as Blade Runner for Scrap Brain Zone. And at times, maybe even drawing from pop music from decades earlier, like in Marble Zone. The way he blended all those influences together was masterful, and he had such a good time with the first two Sonic games that he incorporated some of its music back into his band Dreams Come True. And unlike the music of many other video game series such as Mario, which is based on older musical genres, ragtime, classical, jazz, and others, the music of these Sonic games was distinctly contemporary. When it comes to Sonic 3, most of you are probably familiar with the infamy of Michael Jackson's involvement. This could be its own segment, but long story short, he was involved in composing music for the game, and some of it ended up being included in the final product. And whether or not a track was composed by him, his crew, or members of the Sega sound team, there was clear MJ influence on the sound of the game. From the sound of the percussion, the glass breaks, even specific musical hits. It's pretty remarkable how only using an FM sound chip, they were able to pretty faithfully capture New Jack Swing, a genre that was popularized by Michael Jackson. The music here was rhythmic, funky, exciting, and unquestionably cool. The staff role was worked on by him and one of his partners, Brad Buxer, and it shares the same chord progression as his song Stranger in Moscow, released two years later. How, how, how 
One of the most exciting discoveries made a few years ago was the surfacing of an old unreleased song from Brad Buxer's 80s band, The Jetsons, which lo and behold was the foundation for Ice Cap Zone. It's crazy how similar this is, even down to the sound of the synth bass. Now, as the series continued on in the later years, the pop R&B influence faded away and was replaced with rock, probably to continue the trend of using contemporary music in order to keep the games cool. But I'm a sucker for the old-school Genesis Sonic soundtracks. There's really nothing quite like them. They serve as kind of a time capsule for that era's pop music. But oddly, I think they stand the test of time better than much of the music that inspired them. The choice of Sega bringing in real-world pop songwriters was a brilliant one. And I think it was a big reason why those games felt so fresh and cool. Well, I hope you enjoyed this look back. Now I'm definitely in the mood to go down some rabbit holes of 80s and 90s pop nostalgia. Stay cool, everyone. God, that song is so catchy, you know, and I was thinking today, <laughs> there's Jackson another song there. that it reminds me of, the full house theme, the everywhere yeah, you Yeah, oh, look, absolutely. Everywhere well, it's just 90s through and through. A, I mean, that's such a great the song. The heart of Sonic is is apparently running through the entire Jackson family. And I also think there's a degree with that kind of melody, it falls into the sort of parallel thinking land of things but it's also it's like that's why that old music was so great because it had that feeling of inevitability like this song should have existed for all time you know absolutely so one thing that happened in the mid to late 90s in the in the sonic series is they did a lot of experimentation we thought it'd be fun to touch a little bit on sonic cd because it was one of the first times uh when you know there was a sound that was existing for the Sonic games and Sonic 1 and 2 with what Masato Nakamura established. And they really wanted to try something different with Sonic City. And one of the ways they were going to do that using the technology was with the opening themes. Now, everyone knows that there are two versions of the soundtrack of Sonic CD. So the European Japanese version had a track called You Can Do Anything. Uh, And then the U.S. version had a track called Sonic Boom. And so we're going to do a little montage to compare and contrast a little bit of each of those themes and talk about how anime, TV shows, how vocal theme songs may have actually influenced uh, the musical direction of the Sonic series to come. So let's do this. Go back in time to the 90s and play a nostalgic montage here from Sonic CD.
Well, that's a fun little opening montage, two different opening themes from Sonic CD, different versions. The first one was composed by Masafumi Ogata featuring Kaiko Utoku on vocals. And then the second one was composed by Spencer Nielsen featuring Pastiche. Very cool. Very cool indeed. And I think, you know, we are so lucky to have these two completely different Sonic CD, not just opening themes, but entire soundtracks, two different ones for the ones that Japan and Europe saw and the ones that the U.S. saw. Um, And it's interesting, being completely frank, um, Carl, Marty, and I didn't really grow up much with Sonic CD. It wasn't a game. We didn't have a Sega CD. (laughs) Yeah, any of us played, and whenever we did get around to us, it, it just kind of felt different, and um, so we didn't have any nostalgia for it, and so I think... We, well, we... the way that I still feel about the game and the soundtrack, both of them, is it feels like a fan game to me, and I think that's one of the reasons why so many fan communities love this game, and it's considered one of their favorite games, is there is something about it that feels... It sort of opens like... the door to another yeah. expanded world of that kind of 2D yeah. Sonic but style. I, I thought it'd be fun today to talk a little bit about the possible inspiration of, you know, pop and rock vocal songs, whether it's music written for TV show theme songs, anime, how that influence, uh, I think, found its way into the Sonic series. You also have to think about some of the things that Richard Jakes did, such as Sonic R, these other experiments and spinoffs that were that were done in the 90s. Yeah. I really feel like that kind of helped to transition uh, from the era that I grew up with and I loved to, let's say, the era that our good friends Stephen and Brian uh, love so much. Well, I think... The thing that was interesting about all those examples is how similar things are. I mean, if you think about the melody of supersonic racing, yeah. da, 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 that's not that far off from it. Yeah, da, 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 it all feels da, like da, classic da, da, Sonic. Da, da, da. I mean, it's all classic. It's great melodies. And then even the I really. Yeah, da, da. Da, da, da. It's a great da, melody. Da, 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 da. I mean, it's such a classically like that. To me, that melody, just to take a little moment to analyze that, I think it's so well composed and it follows that classic rule of three where you have two phrases, ready, set, go, and it sort of takes off. It reminds me of Dave Grohl or like The Offspring, just classic 90s rock pop sort of yeah. songwriting. Well, even if you take the idea of let's open a Sonic game with a vocal theme, uh, that was something that became a trope. Uh, that the series just explored over and over again, eventually got to the point where, yeah, we can actually have vocals in the game for in-game music too. So yeah, the inclusion of vocals, and I guess I would just say performed musicians, is is something that was pretty important for the series. Another thing that we have to be honest about, we weren't always crazy about yeah. it. And maybe still, it's not 100% our thing. Because I think... You know, the old Sonic games felt earnestly cool. Like they were just they weren't cool like in the way that like liking cheesy anime shows is cool. They were cool in the way that like listening to Michael Jackson at the time was cool or Prince. Like it was, it was like legit cool. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It was strange when it sort of turned into the sort of cheesy, hyper saturated, super almost to, I think some ears kind of the saccharine sound of all these really melodic pop melodies with these like in your face lyrics about stars and dreaming and race to the top (laughs) and you can finish. Like, you know, those kinds of lyrics, it, it 
made it feel like maybe the music was good, but it was definitely not like cool anymore. And I think that's okay. And it's probably good that the series changed Mm -hmm. because you can't be cool for 40 years. You know, (laughs) cool is a very limited. Some people try. We should talk to, speaking of, we should talk to Dave Grohl because apparently he does it. I don't know how he can do it. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think that's a perfect transition point to, I guess I would say, the Jun Senoue era, starting off with the really exciting release of Sonic Adventure. Now, Will and myself, we're definitely not experts on the Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2 music. So we thought we'd bring in uh, some heavy hitters, some experts, good friends of ours, Stephen and Brian, to talk a little bit about the music of Sonic Adventure 1 and 2. Let's take a quick listen to Welcome to Station Square from Sonic Adventure and then hand it over to the Kellys. Cuddle listeners, this is Stephen from An Evening at the Roost, and I'm here with my brother and co-host Brian to talk about what we know best, Sonic Adventure music. We are going to leverage that deep, unhealthy knowledge of these two Dreamcast-era soundtracks to unearth some of the hidden gems that some of you may not know. We have too much to talk about and not much time, so I know it's cliche, but we, we gotta go fast. Wanna hear something? You've probably heard this one. Open Your Heart is the main theme of Sonic Adventure, which is the game we're starting with. Main composer Jun Senoue teamed up with a very loud vocalist named Johnny Gioelli to create Crush 40, a band dedicated to Sonic the Hedgehog anthem rock. It's sort of iconic now. But Johnny's, again, very loud, vocals often steal the show from Jun's dynamic guitar work. There's always something going on behind the lyrics, rhythms, slides, and irresistible harmonics. of all of those things, really. We have Crank the Heat Up, and that's with two exclamation marks, canonically. It's the final stage of the game, and June is on fire. It takes a full two and a half minutes of brass buildup and absolutely explodes with the guitar solo at the end. Okay, let's bring things down. All the way down to the dilapidated way. If 
If you whiff at the pinball machine in Casinopolis, you're dropped unceremoniously into an underground garbage dump. This is normal. It's worth a few indignities, however, for a swanky, seedy sort of song that James Bond himself would tap his toe to. the storm plays during a brief cutscene one particular instance of the game during the story mode of the robot E-102 Gamma. The horns are way too excited to notice how fake they are, and the rest of the big band breakbeat jumps right in. But wait, there's more! with E-102 Gamma for a minute. The villainous Dr. Eggman created him alongside a line of fellow robots, and Gamma watched in horror as his metal brethren were twisted into soulless walking tanks before his very photoreceptors. In the end, he was forced to destroy his own robotic siblings to save the innocent animals trapped inside. It's a full-blown tragedy, playing out just on the edges of the main story, and Gamma's theme is a very sincere electronic elegy. Crush 40 is back, and good golly folks, they really done did it this time. Live and Learn is kind of the sequel to Open Your Heart, and the theme to Sonic Adventure 2. It's hooky and blood pumping, really just the magnum opus of June and Johnny, and they made good use of it. Live and Learn is chopped up into catchy little bits throughout the menus, whether it's the spaced out tune that plays when recapping story beats... Or the level select song, which is perhaps the most infinitely loopable six seconds of music I've ever heard. Delve deeper into the menus and you'll discover Professor Omochao 
a robot friend who teaches you about the game. I love this laid-back island of reverb hidden away behind a handful of button presses. Now, I know that Sonic Adventure 2 gets a bad rap for bad rap, but hear me out. Let's scoot semi-renowned rapper Hunted P out of the way for a minute and take a listen to Kenichi Takoi's instrumental take on Knuckles the Echidna's theme, unknown from me. on all cylinders, it is a harmonious chaos of noise. And here's another character theme that has a lot more going on beneath the lyrics than you might think. Rouge the Bat is a treasure hunter with something of a secret agent flavor, and her theme song, Fly in the Freedom, is just packed with personality. Pumikumatani takes the assignment and sets out at a dead run. our segment with a paradox, a track that is simultaneously a deep cut and City Escape. See, when Sonic Adventure 2 jumped ship from the Dreamcast, Sega bolted on this brand new multiplayer mode to the GameCube port. The snowboarding section in City Escape was treated to a brand new guitar riff and actual snow. It's just the kind of video game music that Brian and I grew up loving bright, crunchy, poppy, shredding, and sledding in this particular case. And that's it for us. Thanks for listening. We gotta go. Fast. We gotta go fast. Oh, man. Thank you so much to Stephen and Brian for putting that segment together for us. Thanks a lot, guys. That was so great. And, you know, to focus on the Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2 music, that's the most time <laughs> that has ever been dedicated to it on this podcast. And who better to talk about it? That's so well, fun. And the thing that I will say, there is such great music there is. in those games, like really classic, iconic themes. Um, and I, I think it's just, we, you know, we articulated it before similar with Sonic CD. It's like 
as Sonic grew up and went through his adolescence stage, he definitely lost some people and he definitely yeah. gained some new different people. And it's, it's like being a star Wars fan. Some people only like the original movie. Some people only like the original trilogy and hate the prequels. Some people like all the prequels, but don't like the new ones. Some people only yeah. like the prequels. Like there's at this point, there's so many iterations of people who are fans. Well, you know, and near the end of the episode, I'm excited to talk about the current state of Sonic music. Um, but before we do that, so we have another track that we wanted to to talk about and focus on. But before we do that, I think we have to talk a little bit about some of the other games that came in between. Uh, I think two games that are worth mentioning. In general, I really would like to spend some time today to talk about one of my favorite Sonic series composers, Tomoyo Otani. We, we have to talk about that gentleman. Uh, but two games that I think would be worth talking about, Sonic 06 as well as Sonic Unleashed. Those are two games chronologically that come before the next track we're going to focus on. Um, but I was listening a little bit to those soundtracks, and you guys might hear some tunes in the background uh, from those. There's some really good stuff. Definitely in, in Unleashed, we've explored that soundtrack before, yeah. some amazing music there. But even in 06, I thought I thought they were kind of in some ways carrying the torch of the vibe of Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, but actually exploring some new directions as well. Yeah, it's hard because I think the series has evolved and actually in some ways gotten better it, as its adolescence shifted to sort of its, like, more confident 20s or something if the metaphor yeah. holds but i also think my relationship with it has changed so it's like i wasn't totally objective at the time this at the time you know sonic unleashed came out i still was kind of not in love with the style of modern sonic it didn't help that the games yeah. were so bad um that it's like that colored the impression of the whole thing but as i look back i think there are incredible moments and we've explored this the music is probably the best part of both of those games because in many Absolutely. other ways they're very broken but there's some great music and the one thing about sega that you have to give them props for is they clearly invest a lot into their music budget because their games always sound amazing yeah, the production is always so incredible, and compositionally, what composers like Tomoyo Otani bring to the modern era of Sonic music is this level of vibrance and color, and I think that he was taking some cues of Jun Senue, and uh, I imagine he was kind of more of the audio director, uh, you know, developing the direction that happened in the Dreamcast era. Uh, Otani did work on those games too, I think. Uh, but yeah, he really became kind of one of the new arbiters of Sonic music going forward, and he composed some of my favorite themes the entire series has seen. So yeah, he's an incredible composer. Well, and I think when we will talk about Otani, the thing that is important to acknowledge is that there are some people who don't really like that kind of direction of Sonic music because maybe it almost starts to sound too much like Nintendo. Right. But I think the thing that people have to accept is that Sonic is in a new era. He is kind of a Nintendo character at this point. Like, he's in Super Smash yeah. Brothers. They have have their Mario and Sonic games together and in more contemporary Sonic games it's like they're always released on Nintendo consoles it's sometimes true. exclusively and also another thing it felt like the the series was trying out so many different sounds and it didn't want to land on any one it wasn't interested in landing in one sound and so I do really believe that Sonic music means something different to different people and depending on what era they they played the games or listened to the music 
Uh, there's going to be certain scores that some people love, some people hate. Uh, Unleashed for me is something where when I first started to hear the music, I was really opposed to it for whatever reason. This was years ago. I heard this kind of big band thing, and it just didn't it didn't seem like Sonic to me. Not that it was bad, but for some reason I was I was kind of had my guard up. But when I finally dove into that soundtrack, I was blown away by the quality of the composition, all the performance. It's such a massive score. There are definitely pieces where it doesn't feel like Sonic, though. It just feels oh, this is great. Latin jazz. <laughs> right. And I think there are moments, I will be honest, of Super Mario Odyssey, where I feel that way about Naoto Kubo's work. Sure. Where it's like just incredibly executed composition, yeah. but not distinctly Mario in the way that Mihiro Yakoda's galaxy music was always Mario 100% of the time. Right. And I think this is the point, once you're a few generations in, that clarity of what the sound is starts to vanish. And once Koji isn't writing mm. the music, and Masato only did those two games, you don't have that kind of like (laughs) hands-on approach. At least with Nintendo, a lot of those original composers do occasionally from time to time. I mean, the Kirby series has been great with this. Many series have incorporated the music of the old games and tried to do that. I think Sonic has just always been in an interesting place because that old music is so tied to the style of, you know, the 90s and like New Jack Swing and everything. So true. It's hard to take that away. So Yeah. We talked a bit about Sonic Unleashed, which came out in 2008. There's also Sonic Heroes and, uh, you know, Shadow the Hedgehog and everything. There's so many others. Uh, let's jump ahead to 2010 and, and focus on Sonic Colors for a second. We're going to play a track. And I heard someone on YouTube describe this, and it's a great way of describing it. It's Planet Wisp Act 1, by the way, from Sonic Colors. Someone said it's kind of this series' gusty garden in in a way it's arguably one of the strongest themes of the whole series but exploring a completely different sound. Yeah, that's. I love thinking about it that way because it's a, a complementary era yeah. and not a complementary track. I mean, the one that's mm-hmm. most stylistically like Gusty Garden, I think would come a little bit later, maybe in uh, Sonic Lost World. But this is a track that I think in terms yeah. of its meaning and impact for uh, whatever, I forget the numbers of the console generation, but the kind of Wii <laughs> yeah. 360 PS3 era, this was that you know, Sonic re-identifying himself and making a great game that was actually well-reviewed yep. and well-received. Absolutely. And I think a great return to form. And a great soundtrack. Really, really strong soundtrack. The lead composer was Otani, who did some incredible work, but this particular track was composed by Kenichi Takoi. Let's take a listen to Planet Wisp. You guys are listening to a bit of Planet Wisp Act 1 from Sonic Colors. 
This is composed by Takoi. Like I said before, Otani was the lead composer. And if you're not familiar with the score, check it out because there's some great melodies, some great examples of one of the things I'm so excited about to be a fan. And we can say currently because there was this re-release of Color. So yeah, it feels like modern sonic music. It's such an interesting mix of old and new. It feels fresh. They're exploring some musical directions they haven't before, but they're combining a lot of really effective things and tools that has always worked in the past, whether it's the the Senaway Dreamcast era or even the Genesis era. So I actually really love Sonic Colors, and surprisingly, the, the music's very colorful. What's amazing, too, is I feel like harmonically, melodically, it feels contemporary to 2010. Yeah, it does. Yet it has this sort of grooviness and sense of fun that actually is a little more retro. And obviously... It's probably Mm -hmm. more cheesy and kind of the sounds are less polished. I don't know, like American pop music of that time. But honestly, some of that stuff sounds cheesy. It has a similar vibe. Um, Yeah, but I just think a really strong composition and a great earnest attempt to like keep the spirit of what was Masato Nakamura trying to do. Not imitate his sound, but kind of the idea of Sonic sounding like the voice of the now, yeah. but in a melodic way that creates timeless melodies that feel like anthemic or iconic to a specific character. And this track will always make people think of Sonic colors and hopefully it will always make them think of Sonic. It has just enough simplicity and just enough complexity to be right for that kind of character. It's so true. So jumping ahead a few years uh, to really one of Will and myself, one of our very favorite scores in the entire series. Uh, And again, I think it's not a score that everyone in the series loves because I think it really was exploring in some ways something different. It's 2013's Sonic Lost World. And we're going to hand it over to Will to talk a little bit about maybe some of the influences and maybe how some of this music has carried the torch for the series. By the 2010s, Sonic and Company had seen their fair share of spin-outs, wipeouts, and roundabouts. It seemed like for every successful entry in the series, there was a werehog-sized pile growing of increasingly mediocre titles. One attempt made by Sega to breathe some new life into the Blue Blur's fading renown came in the form of Sonic Lost World. While the game itself failed to draw much attention from consumers or critics, it marked a distinct turn in the trajectory of the character and the series. Inspired by the recent success of Nintendo's beloved Super Mario Galaxy games, Sega attempted to give a similarly galactic overhaul to their flagship character. Unfortunately, this effort was mostly in vain, as many players found the game so similar to Galaxy that it amounted to little more than a lesser variation on the same theme. One aspect that particularly left some Sonic fans divided was the game's score, composed by Tomoya Otani and Takahito Iguchi. To some players, the orchestral, Broadway-style themes came across as an abandonment of Sonic's roots and a sense of borrowing too freely from the, quote, Nintendo sound. As a dedicated and lifelong fan of both Mario and Sonic music, I never found this soundtrack to be derivative or inauthentic. To me, this score carries the legacy of the series' musical roots and realizes their concepts with a fittingly modern approach. 
While both games feature an orchestra, the compositional style found in Lost World is decidedly different than Galaxy, and is, as I hope to illustrate today, a style that could only say Sonic. As someone who has a particular affinity towards the original few titles for the Genesis, especially where the music is concerned, I've always been delighted by how strong the melodies are in Sonic Lost World. While many of the tracks are arrangements of the main theme, a track which itself is bursting with harmonic and melodic trademarks that are familiar to the series, all of the new material is tuneful, well-arranged, and very memorable. This is something that, quite frankly, has varied over the years when it comes to the series. Melody was always central to the old Sonic, and Lost World proves that it's still central to the new Sonic. While there are so many specific tracks from the game that are delightful pieces of music in their own right, I want to give special attention to a few that I believe share common musical DNA with the Genesis Sonic games. Take this killer blues tune, a big band piece called Tilt the Machine. Without the awareness of it being a Sonic game, there is so much about this composition that reminds me of Masato Nakamura, the bass writing in particular. Listen to the octave jumps in the bass line, and that chromatic movement back up to the root. As a bassist himself, Nakamura-san's music would frequently explore dancey patterns like this, evocative of disco and funk music. Otani's composition, this polished and modern-sounding arrangement is able to help sell the swanky jazz idiom better than something like Casino Night Zone from Sonic 2, but in both cases, it's the underlying melody, chords, and bass writing that shines through and sells the composition. As a fan of the original game, I appreciated the musical touches in this track that seemed like a love letter to the old Sonic. Even the 8-bit chirps in the arrangement help to keep the piece firmly rooted in the traditions of classic VGM. Another technique that the composers of Lost World used to keep the spirit of Sonic in the music was the use of pop production tricks like double tracking, using digital delays and reverbs, and arranging each stage theme in a different genre style. This is something that the old games desperately wanted to convey, that sense of style and genre being catered to each level's theme. Notice the slick fusion sound to the production on this Desert Ruins track. Does anyone hear something familiar? There's no question in my mind that Oil Ocean Zone, 
was an influence on this track. Elements like those harmonized chromatic answering phrases, the Arabic scalar melody played by that double tracked saxophone, it gives me a similar feeling to the FM sounds in Sonic 2. Even that funky clav reminds me of Mystic Cave Zone. Anyway, no Mario Galaxy here, that's for sure. The last track I want to mention today is the special stage. This is another arrangement of sorts of the main theme to Sonic Lost World. I find the melodic changes in this arrangement, however, to give the special stage a completely distinct flavor from many of the variations of the tune. Notice how it opens with a classic Sonic staple, a melodic sequence of fast scalar lines. why Nakamura-san used so many of these kinds of lines in his writing, but thank goodness he did, because now those sorts of phrases will forever remind a certain generation of Sonic the Hedgehog. Thanks to the fine work of composers like Otani and Iguchi, hopefully a few of those distinctly Sonic musical characteristics will continue to keep the old traditions alive in some way for generations to come. so much about Lost World is they weren't afraid <laughs> to take some cues from Nintendo. There are definitely tracks right. where it feels like you're listening to a Mario Galaxy soundtrack. Uh, but again, the quality, the production, the composition quality is so high on Lost World. It's a bit of a quirky score for the series. But again, just the way that they were able to, to carry the torch of the, the spirit of Sonic, amazing. Yeah, I definitely think the spirit of Sonic, and I was really touched as I was revisiting it, noticing some little details where I could tell it's like, these composers really liked Masato Nakamura's music because there were just a few touches that just seemed evocative of that style. And it's it's always fun when you can see the thumbprint of the past in the present. And it shouldn't be surprising for people that know us that we love the Genesis soundtracks. We also are huge Nintendo and Mario fans. It shouldn't be surprising how much we adore the soundtrack to Lost World (laughs) because I think it has a lot in common with all those things I just said. And the thing is, is that I understand people that feel like they don't want Sonic to lose his personal identity and just make a Mario identical. But this is not a Mario score. Like, this sounds distinctly different. Mm -hmm. The closest thing it sounds to is Mario Odyssey. And honestly, that's what I was saying, where that was a Mario game kind of at some points maybe losing its total identity as Mario. You know, at this point in time, you know what Lost World sounds like to me more than anything? It sounds like Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. It's just has that, it has that vibrance to right. it. Right. Which I absolutely love. And I get it, but I do think Sonic is part of the Nintendo roster right. a little bit. And having some of that style, it does work for those kinds of cartoony, timeless characters. That sort of approach, I think dipping their toe in the water is not a step in the wrong direction. And I think 
as the series goes on, I, I hope it would continue with this sort of approach and refine it to help create a sense of style that's really specific to just Sonic, but keeps that spirit of classic old-fashioned melodic music with an emphasis on groove. Like, that seems to be what yeah. Sonic is all about. So there's been quite a few releases uh, post-Lost World, some spin-offs, uh, different genre releases. Uh, now, tied for the latest release is Sonic Forces, as well as what we're going to touch on a little bit to close our episode, Sonic Mania. Both of those games came out just a few years ago. And we have a new Sonic game, Sonic Frontiers, that will actually be dropping late this year in 2022. So after we play a little bit of this track, I'm excited to talk about the current state of Sonic music. But oh boy, was this an exciting release, Sonic Mania. The soundtrack was composed by T. Lopes. We're going to take a listen to Lights, Camera, Action, which is Studiopolis Zone, Act 1. guys listening to studiopolis zone act one from sonic mania so exciting and this represents why i'm so glad to be a, a sonic fan now is that there's been so many different paths of tradition musical tradition that have been explored and now there's so much reverence and respect to every single one of them sometimes you can combine all of them into one thing uh, i know that sonic cd was one of the things that was very influential and inspirational to t on his score, but obviously you hear some Richard Jake's influence all over the place on the score. It's so fun. Compositionally, it also has quite a bit to do with some of the Genesis scores. I mean, he does these outstanding remixes, obviously. I love the sound choice that he established. It's kind of that cheesy 90s synth sound, but he's able to make it feel a little bit more modern. There's a lot of reverence and love in the score. Absolutely. And that feeling, that full circle feeling of the fans becoming the earnest creators. Yes. It's something that I so wish Nintendo would learn from. And I think that they're, in my opinion, real failing of the handling of AM2R, the another Metroid 2 remake. Yeah. The, the way they sort of hostily shut that down when they could have made such a great ally. There's so many other examples like that. They should have brought that into its wing, and that's what Sonic Mania was to show that, like, you can bring the fan game in on an earnest effort and create something amazing right. that really honestly gets a lot closer. Sonic Mania wasn't perfect, but it got a lot closer to the spirit of classic Sonic than anything Sega had put out for decades. 
Even if you're not talking about the music, now we're at a point where if you're a fan of Sonic video games, you might expect a brand new 2D release, you might expect a 3D release, you might expect an open world game, a racing game, there's so many different types of games, and musically there's so many different things, different composers that are carrying the torch and and still exploring some new directions. I'm excited to hear what T does next, just for VGM period, I think he has some exciting projects he's working on. Carl, as we approach the end of our episode today, I feel like I don't want to embarrass you, but I I have to ask a sort of James Lipton-esque question, because (laughs) considering that you have written so much music with the word Sonic attached to it, whether it was from one of your many phenomenal Sonic-esque albums, of which there are five and everyone should check them out if you haven't, Uh, Sonic-esque Flashfield, which is sort of the fifth installment of that series, was released um, only a few months ago, and it's Mm -hmm. maybe one of the best that you've ever done. But you. you've also written music for Sonic fan games, and it's something, yeah. it's a continuing thing. And I imagine will like always be a part of your <laughs> life is like writing music in that crazy, whatever it is, the style of Sonic. But mm. to, I really feel like I want to distill your entire experience and perspective down to one question, which is what does Sonic mean to you? I mean, I was talking about it earlier, but to me, Sonic is just all about joy and fun and a lot of the music is catchy some of it's funky some of it's rocking uh, but it just has this cool fun vibrancy to it and when I sit down at the keyboard to try to write a piece of music that I think captures the sonic spirit I'm probably smiling and grooving along while I'm coming up with it. It's music that I just love to listen to. I love to dance to. I love to perform it with you in the band. It's music that, at the end of the day, is just so much fun. It's music. It teaches us. It teaches us. Uh, that sounded so pretentious. <laughs> it teaches us. No, no, no. But it it does teach us like certain aspects about songwriting and the, the sort of I think does. in the way that a lot of video game music is really instructive because yes it's the style of pop music but pop music can also rely on the power of words when you have lyrics you kind of sometimes all you need is repeated on the same note da 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 right if you have good words over that that can be a compelling phrase but you can't do that on an fm synth and have it sound as compelling so you need to write these composed tunes but it has to have that spirit of classicness and i think that's absolutely influenced composition yeah. i've heard so many songs in recent decades that have these melodies that feel like pianistic or they feel like really particular notes and it just sounds like game music to me and I think that's because a whole generation of songwriters has been raised on playing video games and hearing song melodies like that you know in the way sometimes we're critical of the sonic songs that have lyrics and I think it's because the melodies sound so instrumental that words on top of them it's so true and I have to say that sonic music and the influence and inspiration of it and it's cool because we were talked about today some of the inspiration influences that maybe some of those composers had but the inspiration influence of sonic music is something that will always be a part of me it'll always be a part of my music it'll be something as a composer that i continue to be inspired by but just as a fan of anything fun any fun art or entertainment um, i'm always going to be a sonic fan and it's a really exciting time right now to be a sonic fan i have no idea what frontiers i don't know what it's going to sound like uh, i'm excited to hear 
the other spin-offs <laughs> that the series is going to is going to have there's so many different branches of musical legacies that are very vibrant and there's fan games and there's albums there's so many things to love uh, we wanted to thank Stephen and Brian for taking the time to do that segment. We hope you guys enjoyed all three of the segments we shared today. Uh, this I had an absolute blast. Will, did you have a fun time today? I had a really fantastic time. Sonic is one of the series. I mean, it's either this or Super Mario. I mean, th- <laughs> those are really the two choices for yep. the inaugural one of these. And Sonic somehow seemed fitting, you know, be, I think because it's such a part of your identity. And it's such a great... It's almost like the the story of the Godfather or something. Like it's this interesting saga that over the years, you know, what people thought of Sonic in 91 is very different than what people thought of him in 2001, which is different than 2011, which is different than right. 2021. Like it, it's true. I mean, he's he's really if he were a person, he would have had the classic kind of vaudevillian show business lifestyle of his ups and down kid. And sometimes this business, you can't predict it. You know, it's that like does sound exactly like Sonic. But now he's had two big Hollywood movies mm-hmm. that have been like successful. I, that, I don't know. You can't predict this this kind of stuff. And Sonic will always, I think, be with us as long as video games are around because Thank God for Masato Nakamura, man. His music did so much in selling that character. It's like as important as John Williams' music is to Star Wars. Absolutely. Well, guys, we're going to play you out with a classic Genesis melody. It's Flying Battery Zone Act 1, but it's the Sonic Mania remix of it, which is arranged by T. Lopez, originally composed by the Sega Sound Team. Uh, Next episode that you guys can look forward to, which will be coming out two weeks from today, if you're listening to this on release, the topic of that is called Discord Discotheque. So we'll leave you with that to ponder. "Mm, I wonder what that's going to be. That's another new idea in new format Uh, that we're going to be exploring on this podcast. We can't wait for all the different ideas and formats that we have. Every episode is going to be a little different, and hopefully they're all going to be fun. This was a blast. I think this is a very successful first episode of this era. Yeah, I had a great time. You know what? Our our goal in these episodes, just to kind of, I don't know, be completely transparent with all of you, is we don't want to take away any of the things that we felt our show did particularly well. And I think Carl and I just as brothers do have a natural dynamic. So we don't want to get rid of the spontaneity of us listening to music, digesting (laughs) it and talking about it at the same time. But also I think there hopefully can be a lot of advantage from putting time into craft and develop segments where we can take a closer, more analytical approach sometimes, or maybe a broader like historical look like what Carl prepared with um, a lot of the Genesis music. There's, there's so many different facets to explore with video game music. And it really is that important as an art form that I think it deserves some of that extra time. And we're excited to explore as many as we can think of. We hope you guys enjoy Flying Battery Zone. I think that's about it. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.
part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network.